0: Hey there, welcome to Golden Home Fitness Radio, where we're educating and empowering people to live longer, fuller lives, no matter their age. I hope you're having an awesome day, great week, and a wonderful start to 2019. Um, We're certainly excited for a lot of good things um, that we've got going on, and we're excited to to hopefully share some of that with you. So today, we're going to talk about mental health. Mental health and exercise, specifically, um, kind of how the two interact. Um, some different ways that, uh, that people can leverage uh, exercise to improve their mental health and just uh, kind of increasing our awareness around what's going on with mental health uh, right now through the country. So we'll get right into it. Um, the topic of today is based on an article that I wrote for goldenhomefitness.com. Uh, in our resource library. So if you'd like to read the text form or check out some of the citations, because there's a lot, uh, you can check that out at goldenhomefitness.com in our blog or resource library area, Um, and we'll also have those in the show notes wherever you are listening to this podcast. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So, I mean, you probably know that mental health is a really big... um, it's a really big issue that's going on in the world right now, and, uh, and seemingly it's it's only gotten worse in the last several decades. So um, earlier in the uh, the end of the fall, there was a headline that got a lot of attention that reported that one in three college freshmen um, have are displaying symptoms that would diagnose them with a mental health disorder. One in three, and that one in five adults uh, experience mental illness any given year. Now. Obviously, there's a number of different things you can take from that. And obviously, there's a lot more information behind that. But while well, this kind of focuses on college students, obviously, um, mental health and mental illness impacts all and, and really is especially consequential in later years, which I think gets ignored a lot of the time, um, especially for the kind of highest impact, uh, highest negative impact aspects of mental illness. Where we see the highest rate of suicide for women, uh, ages 45 to 64, and for men, uh, it's age 75 and up. With the uh, second highest rate being that same 45 to 64 age group. So that's a very important, uh, important age group that uh, a lot of people forget about uh, when it comes to mental health, and uh, and so it's very important. Now, when we get down to the dollars and cents of it, which you know in the U.S. a lot of times is is what things. You know, are predicated on. Um, It's close to 200 billion dollars every year in lost earnings. uh, 193 billion. Um, And adults with severe mental illness, um, they tend to die on average 25 years earlier than others. Um, And the majority of these um, fatalities are due to a treatable uh, medical condition. Now, among the 44.5 million adults in 2016 with any mental illness diagnosed, just under half, 43%, uh, actually received treatment, um, with slightly higher percent, close to 50% for women, and uh, just one-third, just about one-third for men, of people who who actually sought mental health treatment. Um, For younger adults of any gender, 18 to 25, it's also about a third, and then um, even less as we look across. Um, race and ethnicity bounds as Hispanic or Latino is close to 31%. Black at 293 and Asian at just 21.6%. Which is compared to nearly 50% for people identifying as white. So there's a lot of issues here um, to dive into way beyond the scope of this, this podcast. But really, the main point of all this is that there's an enormous amount of people, um, about 25 million people based on these numbers, who either who aren't getting the mental health treatment and care that they need, um, either because of cost, quality, availability, uh, other limitations, um, or because of the stigma surrounding uh, mental health treatment and, and asking for help, don't seek care. Now, of course, these mental health treatment includes various kinds of talk therapy, support groups, medications, and more. So for these 25 million people, who aren't correct, currently getting treatment um, that's where lifestyle interventions including but not limited to exercise which is the focus of this podcast today um, can really be a powerful and essential starting point for improving and maintaining their quality of life so that's what we'll focus on today of course most people understand and people throw this around almost take it for granted that you know you exercise you feel better you know you exercise and improve mental health but um but maybe haven't gone and understood actually you know really what does that mean or, or maybe you know how how significant of a mental illness can exercise actually help with so there was a recent meta-analysis uh, study looking at looking at 11 studies with close to 500 people about 455 patients with um, clinical depression and they found that uh, just 45 minutes on average of moderate intensity aerobic exercise three times a week Um, this meta-analysis looked at an average of nine weeks um, showed significant antidepressant effects um, meaning mood elevating reducing depressive symptoms Um, and the cool part of that was that of course this is looking at a number of different studies and those outcomes held um, across Uh, exercise forms so you know maybe running or you know sport or various other things Um, which is really cool and kind of hammers home the message that I certainly preach a lot of it's very important that you do what you're going to stick to and you you actually like what you do you know exercise should not be torture uh, most of the time Um, and so you should really really enjoy it but you know, also aerobic exercise. A lot of people have, have understood that for a while, but you know, actually the lifting weights, uh, you know, pumping iron, resistance training has been less understood until more recently. And so there was another meta-analysis uh, that was published just about two years ago, looking at 16 studies over 922 people, um, specifically looking at resistance training. Um, and the study author kind of really summed it up best with a direct quote I have from him, which says, resistance exercise training significantly reduced anxiety in both healthy participants and those with a physical or mental illness, and the effect size, meaning the impact of the outcome, the effect size of these reductions is comparable to that of frontline treatments such as medication and psychotherapy. goes on to say, Resistance exercise training is a low-cost behavior with minimal risk and can be an effective tool to reduce anxiety for healthy and ill alike. So, you know, key things there you are talking about low costs. A lot lot of people have problems with uh, healthcare affordability, healthcare access. Um, You know, this is a viable strategy that uh, you don't need to worry about any of that. And then, you know, further, and there's there's more research on that. But then, kind of the next thing, talking about um, antipsychotic medications and people living with uh, schizophrenia, um, many antipsychotic medications, particularly atypical antipsychotic medications, um, are known to lead to weight gain, um, which can lead can become problematic, certainly for many people. So they have an even bigger need to have exercise as a part of their lifestyle. Um, and research has shown also there's, it's a very good response rate with not only improvement in weight control, but also fitness level ability to tolerate exercise, blood pressure and energy levels. You know, all things that can typically be expected from exercise. Um, And that, uh, you know, as little as 30 minutes of brisk, brisk walking three times a week can improve this. And that could be done all at once or split into 10 minute intervals. So that's very cool. Um, you know, even if you have to chunk it up and just little bits, you, whatever you can stay consistent with. So, you know, if, you, if you're if you good to just take that at face value and, you know, see that this helps, awesome, you know, spread the word. Uh, if you're a little bit more analytical and want to know kind of how does that work, why does that work, um, we'll get into that now. So there was a an article from the Journal of Cl- uh, Clinical Psychiatry um, that was looking at basically how does exercise influence mental health and um, what they suggest was that the increase in blood circulation to the brain uh, influences the hpa axis the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis with uh, various hormones and other control regions so this improves the physiological response to stress ability to handle stress and also is boosted by signals sent to other regions of the brain that control other factors like mood and motivation, which is the limbic system in the hippocampus, um, our fear response from the amygdala, as well as our memory formation also from the hippocampus. Now this next part is something I think is extremely cool um, if you're really into uh, microbiology you know one of the main things that's sort of on the cutting edge of understanding mental health in general and the role of exercise is systemic inflammation um you know having an inflammatory response throughout your body um, and in particular a molecule called kynurenine, which i will talk about in a minute because that i'm sure sounds like gibberish to you right now so systemic inflammation has been shown to be a biomarker for and possibly influence the onset of depression and other mental illness now during conditions of high inflammation which all those conditions are the topic could be the topic of a different podcast but high inflammation when that's the case the essential amino acid tryptophan and that is the one that people talk about a lot of the time if you're like oh I know I've heard of that uh, like Thanksgiving when people eat a bunch of turkey it's like, oh, it's the tryptophan, they're tired, which isn't exactly true. It has more to do with also eating a lot of carbs and a lot of the turkey with the tryptophan at the same time, but that's for another kind of topic. Um, bottom line is when there's high inflammation, tryptophan, which is essential and normally produced, is broken down not into its normal product, serotonin, which may be familiar you know, if you're uh, aware of mental health mechanisms. There's many antidepressants that are um, what are known as SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, meaning they keep your serotonin around longer because you have less of it. Um, And uh, instead of it becoming serotonin, it's broken down into kinurinine, which I mentioned a minute ago. So kinurinine can cross the blood-brain barrier to influence the brain. And when it's you're in high inflammation, you get lots more kinurinine than normal um, from that tryptophan. And so you build up that kinurinine in the brain, and that creates a neurotoxic state, which is associated with depression and schizophrenia. So then, you know, the, the really, really cool part here, it's kind of like perfect lock and key with exercise in this mechanism, because when you exercise you stimulate more of an enzyme that exists in your muscle cells known as um, KAT, kynurenine aminotransferase meaning the amino acid kynurenine is transferred it's converted from kynurenine into uh acid which is no longer neurotoxic but it's actually neuroprotective so not only because also when you exercise you tend to reduce systemic inflammation so that helps in one level you're also increasing the amount of kat uh, enzyme which is reducing the kinurinine amount which is also helping you alleviate the depression And it's shown to be especially important for stress-induced depression, which uh, has been tightly linked to the buildup of kinurinine. Um, And so, like I said, that that enzyme a lot of times is in your skeletal muscle. Um, And so when you you are fit, when you've built up regular exercise as a habit over time, um, you actually improve your your resiliency to kynurinine toxicity because you've uh, enhanced your ability to express that enzyme kat so you're reducing the risk of stress-induced depression um, by having a higher fitness level which if you're you know someone who works out a lot you're like that sounds awesome if you're not um, that's okay too because they also found that it only takes about three weeks of consistent exercise for completely sedentary meaning like you don't move at all um, besides normal walking to your car type movement um, three weeks for sedentary adults to see improved kat expression um, you know among obviously the many other benefits of, of physical activity um, so yeah we covered a lot of information there I know I, th- I think that kinurinian pathway stuff is really cool um, and kind of is definitely on the, the cutting edge of what people understand about mental health and the influence of exercise. Um, thanks for listening you know if you found this educational or helpful kind of insight insightful um, definitely share this with somebody else. Um, you can check out the show notes wherever you're listening to this as well as on our resource library and blog along with the, the full article that this audio is based on. Uh, which also has all the citations i mentioned Um, and uh, if you're in the greater boston area uh, we'd love to meet you and help you out with a complimentary workout uh, where we'll have one of our on-site or in-home coaches come work with you and show you how to make the most out of the space you have at your apartment building or right at home so uh, you can find that out at goldenhomefitness.com slash let's move all one word L-E-T-S-M-O-V-E um, which is also linked from our homepage. So thank you so much for listening. This is an extremely important topic and I would love it if we could you know help share this with people. Like I said there's about 25 million people um that kind of could really benefit from this kind of stuff and uh and it's important. So thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.